0: Funny Fucci is not the only strange character down in the seventh of the evil pouches of the Malabolja. There's another on the way, <laughs> and a few more even after that. I am Mark Scarborough. This is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast in which we have slow walked our way across hell, all the way down into the seventh pit of the Eighth circle far down in hell at Canto 25 of Inferno. We are going to be at lines 17 through 33. Let me remind you that we have seen a huge metamorphosis in which a guy has been bitten by a snake fallen into ashes and reconstituted then we heard that person that sinner confess to who he was confess to what his crime was talk about a theft from a church of religious objects then he gave an elliptical and strange prophecy about whites and blacks in central italy about dante's own exile By default, he then threw a vulgar hand gesture toward God, got attacked by snakes, and ran away. If you've been here through these podcasts and all of that strangeness, as you know, there are all kinds of questions about what in the world is going on. And the questions are about to get even more intense. So, Vani Fucci just ran off, and we pick it up. At line 17 of Canto 25 through line 33. That's when I saw a centaur filled with rage run up and shout, Where is he? Where's that acid soul? I don't believe the swampy Marema has as many serpents as squirmed on this guy's back. From his butt to the spot where our human bits begin, just above his shoulders, right at the nape of his neck, a dragon was hunched there with its wings spread out and ready to set afire anyone who got close. My master said, That's Cacus, who under the rocks of Mount Aventine, time and again made a lake of blood. He doesn't go the way of his brothers because of the fraudulent theft he made from the great herd that lived near his demean. Because of that, his double-dealing career was ended under Hercules' club, who gave him a hundred thwacks, although he didn't even feel the tenth one. That's the real full passage of Caucasus' appearance in Inferno, and we're going to cut it off there, although it seems to just suddenly fall off, right? It seems like there should be more. There is more. Caucasus is going to run off, and then there is much more. But clearly, Caucasus is in pursuit of Vani Fuchi in this passage, but the question is... Who's Caucus, and why is he here? All these questions plague this passage, and it is a passage, I think, that reveals to us part of what's going on in the seventh pit of the Malabolcha that make up the big landscape of fraud. Let's first get to some of the parts of the passage, as answering who Caucus is and those kind of things. And then from there, let's talk about the larger question of the seventh of the Malabolcha. So Vani Fucci runs off and he, then the pilgrim says, that's when I saw a centaur. If you remember, the last time we saw centaurs, they were in the first ring of the seventh circle of violence there with the murderers and the what do we want to say territorial plunderers and even highway robberymen. men the centaurs were there shooting arrows at them making sure they stayed in the river of boiling blood and Dante even got to ride on the back of one of those centaurs at a fording or a crossing of the boiling river of blood okay this is the last one we saw and we might have expected to see no more, but yet here is one way down in the eighth circle in the seventh pit. This centaur is filled with rage. Those centaurs back up there with the violent seem to be much more the philosophical school of centaurs. They seemed uh, reasoning types. They may have seen a little bit dangerous, of course, but yet they seem to be more of that, uh, what do I want to say, that mythological type of centaur. The type who allegedly taught great philosophers. This one... It's just full of rage. And he gets one line. Where is he? Where is the acid soul? The word he uses a acerbo, and it means unripe. We could have said bitter or acrid. I said acid because fruit is often acid before it's ripe. It's interesting that this word gets used here because it's going to get later used of Satan. Acerbo, unripe, bitter, acrid, acidic. Is Dante consciously linking those two places where the word is used? I'm not sure, but it seems to be a word that Dante wants to use, even if he isn't remembering that he used it here when he later uses it for Satan. It seems to be a word that Dante wants to use for a particularly bad sort of fellow. The passage goes on. I don't believe the swampy Marema, and we've heard about the Marema before, it's that swampy coastal region where rivers drain out. We heard about it right before we got to the suicide, so another tie to the Seventh Circle and the Violent. Right before we got there, we kind of heard about this kind of bleak deadscape, you know, where trees die in the marshes, and the harpies were sitting up in the trees. That's the last time we've heard about the Marema in Inferno, and here it comes up again. Except this time the emphasis is on the serpents. Lots of commentators, especially early commentators, who want to talk about exactly how many ser- serpents are in the Marema. Um, sure, great. It's a place with a lot of water snakes running around. They're squirming all over this centaur's back, and it's says that they uh, go from his butt to the spot where our human bits begin. Remember, a centaur is half horse, half human. Uh, Robert Derling would remind us that so much of the Eighth Circle of Hell is about the digestive processes and the lower bowel. And so Robert Derling right here would remind us that Dante is signaling us again. We're talking about the lower bowel because that's about where the human part joins on to the horse. And there are certainly enough... Lower bowel functions going on in the eighth circle of fraud. But that's not all this guy he has. Just above his shoulders, right at the nape of his neck, there's a dragon hunched there, and the dragon seems ready to set fire to anything that gets close. You'll just note that that dragon is positioned in exactly the same spot where Vani Fucci got his serpent bite. Remember, the serpent leaps out kind of from behind and bites Vani Fucci. where it says the neck joins to the shoulders right there in that hollow. This is the same essential place. So it's a tie sort of to Vani Fucci and this character and a tie because this character is a thief. So let's talk about who this centaur is. Virgil steps up to the plate to do the explanation, and we should just say that we haven't heard from Virgil in a while. We haven't heard from Virgil since Canto 24, lines 46 through 57, when he gave Dante the Pilgrim, that tongue lashing for sitting down and catching his breath after the long climb out of the sixth pit. We have seen Virgil. Dante has addressed things to Virgil. He told Virgil to ask questions of Vani Fucci to keep him around to find out more about him. We read that Virgil did ask said questions, but we haven't actually heard virgil's voice since way back in canto 24 this is not the longest silence of virgil by a long shot in comedy but it is still interesting that virgil has been rather quiet to say the least ever since that tongue lashing virgil steps up in his old spirit of guide that's caucas who under the rocks of mount Aventine, that's one of the hills of Rome, time and again made a lake of blood. He doesn't go the way of his brothers, those other centaurs, clearly in the circle of the violent, because of the fraudulent theft he made from the great herd that lived near his demesne. We want to talk about what that theft is in a moment, but again, these are the thieves in the seventh pit of fraud. And Another tie between Kakas and Vani fucci Not only right there about the nape of the neck problem, but thieves. They're both thieves. They're both in this pit together. It seems like Kakas is a tormentor of the thieves along with the snakes and the dragons that are down in this pit and other reptiles too as we'll see it seems like he's part of the tormenting strategy of this pit but yet he himself is a thief Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute and because of that the text goes on his double career was ended under hercules club not so much who gave him a hundred twacks not so much although he didn't feel the tenth one. And those Hercules beat him so much that he was dead by the tenth blow, but Hercules kept beating him. And then, just to tell you what's ahead, Caucus runs off after Vani Fucci. Uh, we didn't get to that yet. We'll get to that in the next episode of this podcast. So let's talk about who this figure is. Dante is making a direct reference to Virgil's Aeneid. And it is so interesting that he does this because this is not. Cacus really from the Aeneid. In book 8 of the Aeneid at line 194, Cacus is described as half-human, semi-homo in the Latin. So half-human, and a centaur is half-human, but he's also described as semi-ferrous at line 267, half-beast, and he's described as a giant- in the Aeneid. I don't know that this centaur is a giant. He's the son of Vulcan in the Aeneid. And we learn in the Aeneid that he is capable of breathing fire. Well, this guy's not capable of breathing fire. Instead, he's got a dragon on his back that does the fire breathing for him. Virgil seems to indicate that he is delighted in killing and even eating humans. His cave is decorated with the faces of the humans he has killed. (laughs) His kind of door wreath on his cave. (laughs) Lovely. His door wreath on his cave. The story is in the Aeneid that Kaka steals four heifers and four bulls from Hercules' herd. These are cattle that Hercules got after Hercules killed Geryon. Geryon? Haven't we seen Garion before? Well, maybe in the Aeneid, but certainly in the Inferno. Garion is the beast of fraud who carries Dante and Virgil down the rock slope into the pits of the fraudulent, the Eighth Circle. We saw Garion already. There's a he, the beast of fraud. There's kind of an implicit reference to Garion here because that's the theft. It's Garion's cattle that Hercules took after killing Garion, and Caucus grabbed eight of them, four heifers and four bulls. And what Caucus does in Virgil is that he seems to drag the cows backwards up to his cave inside the mountain. He drives them backwards so that they're hooked Prince will appear to be heading away from where they are. In the Aeneid, the lowing heifers and bulls give them away up in the cave. There's a bloody battle in which Hercules essentially rips the top off the mountain. And then in the Aeneid, Hercules strangles Cacus. Strangles him so much in the Aeneid that his eyes pop out. Strangles caucus and caucus dies so Virgil himself who wrote one of the big classical reference stories of caucus here tells changed story it's not a hundred percent different but it has changed. Caucus has become a centaur. There's this problem of Hercules whacking him to death, which he doesn't do in the Aeneid. The theft is definitely fraudulent. And you should just know that the way the adjective is placed in the phrase in the Florentine, the emphasis here is on fraud. That is the fraud of dragging those cattle backwards up to the lair so that no one would guess that this is the way they went. You'd think you, they were going away from the lair because their hoofprints are going backwards. But it's still an alternate story of caucus. This is not the caucus that we know from the Aeneid. It's not the caucus we really know from Livy, who may kind of be a shepherd. It's certainly not the caucus that is briefly mentioned in Ovid's poems about festivals, not in the Metamorphoses, but Ovid's poems about festivals. It's all very strange here. And I think this is the answer to what's going on inside the seventh of the Malabolgia. So let's stop and get very highfalutin and talk about this. In much of commentary, particularly in modern commentary, you're going to find that people talk about theft and poetry and that the reason All of this kind of happens inside the seventh pit. The reason the poet is never far away from the space of the seventh pit, the reason Dante the Poet keeps stepping out behind the curtain (laughs) like the Wizard of Oz and revealing himself in his curses on Pistoia or on comments about writing is because in the end, Dante, the poet, is a thief. Dante steals from Ovid. He steals from other sources to create his own poem. And I think I've already told you this in one episode. I find that explanation incredibly shallow and incredibly inconclusive. Here's why. In the Middle Ages, all poetry is theft. In Dante's day, the necessary authority of writing is precedent. So all poetry is theft. Go to your Chaucer. (laughs) Sure, go to your Chaucer, go to your Piers Plowman, go to Brunetto Latini's writing, go to any number of writers that we could name. Go to the great romances of Chrétien de Troyes. All writing is based on previous writing and precedent. You can even come up out of the Middle Ages and go to Shakespeare and look at all the source material running around in Shakespeare. This is a very different notion of authority in a text from our notion. Our notion is post-Romantic era in which originality becomes the hallmark of creativity. This is not the truth in Dante's day, and no one would expect Dante to make up a poem out of whole cloth. In fact, the only way we would expect Dante to write a poem of the gravity of comedy is by using other poetry to form a foundation as if that is the igneous rock, the volcanic substrata that holds everything up. The deal is your poetry takes that igneous rock and just to push my metaphor out, turns it into metamorphic rock. What do I mean by that? Poetry is the combination of theft and metamorphosis. That's what Dante practices. He takes Virgil's notion of the afterlife. He takes Virgil's Aeneid. He takes Ovid. He takes all of these great poets, Stasius, Livy, Lucan. He takes their work. He may quote from it, but he is Fully metamorphosizing it in front of us. And so we have the full irony that Virgil, who probably tells the tale that Dante knows most about Caucus, here in comedy explains Caucus in a completely different way. Why? Because the poet, I believe, is yelling at us that his poetry is to use my big word, metamorphic. It is changed, thievery. It is taking something from another poet adding the originality to the metamorphoses and recreating it. This is why I feel like the constant din of the cry of Dante as poetic thief is actually shallow. Dante's not necessarily a thief any more than Chaucer's a thief. Instead, poetry is based on what comes before it, and the poet's job is the metamorphosis of that material into the current form. This may help us understand what's going on in this pit. Dante is foregrounding the very notion of the poetic act. And where do we see that? Here with Cacus in which he takes a figure out of the Aeneid, he morphs that figure into a tormentor of the thieves in the Malibuja, and he puts that explanation back in the classical poet Virgil's mouth. In other words, it's metaphoric space. That's what poetry is, is metaphoric space. It is metamorphic and metaphoric space think it Emily Dickinson hope is the thing with feathers what is that that is taking an abstraction hope and it's turning it into a metaphor through the metamorphics of poetry and creating hope as this kind of songbird, this little bitty songbird that perches in the soul and sings its little song but then flies away, if you know the Dickinson poem, (laughs) but then is transitory and flies off. That's the nature of poetry itself is metamorphosis. For Dante, and you know what? it's the nature of poetry even now for many poets it's the nature of finding source material reworking it reworking form sonnet form reworking subject matter love it is recasting what has been into what is now that the novel has been around long enough as a form that artistic novelists are intent on finding their own forebearers let's say james the forebearer of wharton and wharton is intent on morphing james into her own um, necessity her own craft her own way of writing yes does she learn a lot from henry james of course is she somehow james acolyte no she's not because she takes what james knows about point of view and changes it it's the same here the point of poetry is the metamorphic and metaphoric space of literary allusions and borrowings. And so here in the middle of this pit, we get this centaur who isn't the centaur we know from any classical source. And so many commentators stub their toes on this and say, oh, well, you know, gosh. And then they just leave it. Why is that? Why is that? Because that's what poetry is. Because that's what's been happening all along. And it's not that somehow Dante comes out of the closet as a poetic thief in this pit he's been one all along he's been one since way up in canto one and he will be all the way throughout the back of canto 33 of paradiso in which he will actually steal from islamic poets it is the nature of his art to take what is and change it under metamorphoses that's why i am uncomfortable with the notion that you can read Dante's biography from comedy or from anything that Dante writes. Dante is a great artist, and he understands the metaphoric nature of his art. This isn't math. This isn't geometry. This is not chemistry. This is not solving equations. This is art. Art. Is metamorphic and metaphoric. I think the incidence of caucus here inside the seventh Malabolgia is a brilliant move to show us that the poet Dante is always working to craft the poem that we're reading to what he needs based on what he has read, and there is in front of us stuff. That he is mind bogglingly difficult, and that even the poet knows, even the poet will tell us in no uncertain words what he's doing is insane. It's in fact, he'll tell us what he's doing is better than anything Ovid could have ever done or anything Lucan could have ever done. So come back. We got more to go. We got more metamorphoses to go. We've got metamorphoses to go all the way through the end of Paradiso. That's the point of poetry. (laughs) Give this podcast a rating. Sign up. Sign on. Come back for the next episode because if you think that it has been crazy up to now in the seventh bit just buckle in because the metamorphoses are going to come fast and loose starting in the next episode of walking with dante i'm mark scarborough i'll see you then